Hello, and welcome to the Food Together podcast. In this podcast, we dive into the Food Together project, a European project which aimed to answer one important question. What role does food play in creating public spaces and opportunities for people to meet and live together? Six universities from six different countries conducted separate but related research and projects to explore food spaces in the context of migration. In each episode, we'll look at an example from each country as we learn more about food in a changing Europe. We'll see the connection between the academic world and civil society, and how one project worked to give a voice to knowledge exchange. In today's episode, we're heading to Belgium and Norway to explore a controversial topic, the slaughter of animals with or without stunning for the production of halal or kosher meat. This topic was part of a comparative analysis conducted by the six Food Together countries. The analysis aimed to answer the question, what do food controversies reveal about migrants' place in the European public space? In order to understand this topic, we first look at some contextual information about migration in Belgium and in Norway. How has this shifted recently with the refugee crisis? And how is food provided in asylum centers? We then dive deeper into ritual slaughter and halal and kosher meat. And why is this a controversial topic? Finally, we tie it all together within the Food Together project. Three of the Food Together researchers joined today's episode. Laura, Elodie, and Melanie. Hi, everybody. My name is uh, Laura Terragni, and I work uh, at the Oslo Metropolitan University in Norway. And uh, I am a researcher in the Food Together project. Laura works together with the Belgian team, Melanie and Elodie. Here's Melanie. Hello, I'm Melanie. I'm a PhD student in social and cultural anthropology from the University of Liège in Belgium. And I'm granted by the Food Together European project. And of course, Elodie. Hello, everyone. My name is uh, Elodie Razi. I'm an associate professor in social and cultural anthropology at the University of Liège in Belgium. To kick things off, we're going to set the scene. That means understanding a bit about the migration history of both Belgium and Norway. Melanie explains the Belgian story. So I will speak about Belgium cases because it's... Uh, the, the cases that I know better. But uh, for many years, Belgium has been a country of settlement for migrants through the migrant flows from the ex-colony of Belgium, in particular from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and then with the arrival of immigrant workers from Italy and Poland to work in the coal mines between the two wars and after the Second World War. But more recently, Belgium has become a host to many asylum seekers. Particularly after 2015, because 2015 marked so-called migrant crisis in Europe due to the more intensive arrival of asylum seekers as consequences of the violence in the Middle East in particular. While Belgium has a relatively long history of receiving migrants, with a significant recent reception of asylum seekers, the story in Norway is a bit different. Here's Laura. I think that Norway is kind of different from Belgium. Uh, Norway has kind of recent country of migration. The first migrants arrived in Norway in the 70s, and they were from Pakistan. 
and as I say, they, this migration has not been so kind of problematic until the, the starting of this century, where more and more people like refugees from Asia or Africa are starting to come to, to Norway. So that's a kind of a more recent phenomenon, particularly the one of asylum seekers and refugees is a kind of problematic issue. So with the recent arrival of asylum seekers, the issue of food rights for migrants also emerged, including the issue of food provision for migrants in asylum centers. Elodie explains. Uh, no changes have been made based on the ritual slaughter controversy in the asylum seeker centers that provide halal food. However, food aid is always designed to ensure the primary and vital needs of people. There is little, very little consideration for the social and cultural dimension of food and very little attention is paid to the, the eating habits of migrants. And this is what can create a lot of tension between the representatives of the institutions that provide food and the beneficiaries of food aid. So while the migrants might be provided with enough calories and their nutritional needs are met, the cultural and social considerations around food are not always made. And Elodie stresses the importance of local analysis, because food provision can vary from one asylum center to the other. Yeah, there is a there is a, a general framework organizing the, the provision of food, but there are many details varying locally because of the organization of the reception centers, and it's a very interesting point because refugee and, and asylum seekers can also feel like they are not treated on the same way in one center or in another and sometimes want to go to another reception center because of this possibility of buying one's food or cooking on uh, on his or on her home or being provided with uh, food supply, for example. So I think it's very interesting in Belgium because of this specificity. And not only does it vary locally in Belgium, it also varies between the different European nations. Here's Laura. I think what was very interesting for us in this project was to, to see really the differences in different countries about the food provision to asylum seekers living in reception centers. I think we, we didn't, we, we knew there were some differences, but we didn't imagine that there were so much differences. And in addition, we have to add that we were very kind of, was difficult for us to accept, <laughs> to see how People living in reception centers struggle with food, and many don't have enough food, actually, in reception centers. And I speak particularly for Norway, because Norway is one of the countries that is known for its welfare system. And uh, But, you know, it, and, and so it was very, even more difficult for us to accept uh, that people living in reception center that we have investigated we have been we have been done several studies before put together in reception centers where people actually don't have enough food don't have enough money to buy food and in Norway it's like that and when you arrive in 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 Norway you you are placed in a reception center and there you got food from the authorities and you have to eat what is provided there is not very much alternatives and then you are moved to other reception centers where you can stay there for months or years even. And then you have a kind of amount of money. And with that money, you have to buy the, the food. And Norway, the 
the food is very expensive as well. So so that that's what's and, and often the kitchen are very not very equipped. Maybe people are not accustomed to use this kind of kitchen. The kitchen are dirty because many people use them. So the situation was was really, how can I kind of say, we didn't imagine that. The situation in Norway was difficult for Laura and her team to see. But this extended even further as the Food Together group analyzed more European countries. So I think this the project that we, Melanie and, and Elodie were doing actually country shows other aspects of the Europe that we sometimes, some other aspects of the Europe we, we know or the Europe that we, that we want to to like. The provision of food in asylum centers highlights migrants' food rights and some of the different ways of thinking about food. With this context in the background, the Food Together group analyzed controversial topics portrayed in the media related to food and migration. Here's Elodie. We wanted to take a step back and try to understand and analyze the controversy surrounding the food of migrants on European scale. That's what we what we aim to do. The one topic that was analyzed for all six countries was that of the production of halal meat and the question of stunning animals before slaughter. So what is slaughter without stunning or ritual slaughter? Ritual slaughter is in general referred to the killing of an animal in a ritualized uh, context, most often religious with the aim of transforming the animal's body into meat and thus make it, making it consumable by humans. So indeed, slaughter in Europe is regulated by strict rules, including stunning before killing. So in the ritual context, this rule is lifted in order to meet the, the conditions for meat consumption and the dietary prohibition of certain religious groups. Uh, this is particularly the case uh, for Muslim religions and for the production of halal meat and the Jewish religions as regard the production of kosher meat. But this is where the controversy arises. The controversy is as such. It's centered around the willingness to ban non-stunned slaughter, with animal welfare on one side and the freedom of worship or place of religion in secular societies on the other. In Belgium, there have recently been decrees to ban the production of meat without stunning, or essentially banning the production of halal meat. However, religious groups have filed appeals, which means that the decrees are not yet in effect. It has left Belgium in a standstill on the topic. But in Norway, a consensus has been reached. Here's Laura. At this regard, we can have to say that in Norway... The situation is rather different because there is stunning is is compulsory. So it's in, in a way that the ritual slaughtering is happening with the stunning of the animal before. And this actually happens also with a kind of consensus. This is what is a kind of difference probably also in terms of how the cooperation between public authorities and, and the Muslim community has functioned. So the Muslim community, at least part of it, agreed in allowing the stunning of the animal before slaughtering with the idea that anyway there has to be like a prayer and so some of the kind of things that are related to ritual slaughtering have to be there, but the animal is stunned. <laughs> 
In the exploration of this controversy, the research team also looked at the role of the media. Elodie explains that in Belgium, the media has shaped the discourse around the controversy. Uh, no, I think that uh, the media shows most of the sides of the controversy, but in a separate way. So it's difficult to have an, a, a global understanding of the phenomenon because based on the time when the controversy appears, for example, during the aid celebration or when, uh, when uh, it's time uh, for elections, one or the other side of the controversy will be developed in the media. And that's why I think uh, the media shapes this controversy in a way. And on the other side, as we have said, the, a few citizens, uh, just normal citizens, not activists, are invited in the media to, to talk about this issue. So the media plays a role in the controversy in Belgium by determining who gets a platform and when they get it. Laura agrees that this topic can become politicized if one wants it to. If you want to politicize, of course, it's a very politicized issue, this one, everywhere in, in Europe. That's why it's been chosen as a controversy, because for people that doesn't want to engage in political discussion, it's probably not a problem. But if you want to, to use this as a way to, to create conflicts in society, then you can, of course, do that. But Laura also adds that it's not all negative. She is quick to tell an anecdote about how things are changing in Norway. <laughs> I want to add something that maybe is uh, on the positive side, which uh, is that I like to say that here in Norway we have a particular dish that is eaten at Christmas and is lamb chops, dried lamb chops, which is called pinnachet. And recently they have also made halal pinnachet, which I think that Here's an important thing for a kind of including different communities, if not in the celebrating of Christmas, but at least in the celebrating of the food culture that we have around festivity and December. So what was so important about the comparative analysis of the production of halal meat and the controversy surrounding ritual slaughter for the Food Together project? Melanie explains. On the topics of ritual slaughter specifically, the comparison between countries provides an, an overview of different political answer and citizen initiative, whereas uh, the debate seems to be present in all partner countries. It does not seem to unfold everywhere in the same way. Some countries seem to take more sides uh, in maintaining the derogation for ritual slaughter, uh, while other focus on the debate on the prohibition of ritual slaughter and on the human impact on animal welfare. The collaboration between the countries uh, of the project thus allows to compare and have a contextual overview of the controversies, which enables to take uh, into consideration the diversity and the multiplicity of the point of view. And how does this all relate back to the Food Together project? So we should keep in mind the general objective of the project, which are to understand the links between food, public space and migration. 
So Melanie says that through the analysis of the media debate and the understanding of the importance of the controversy around ritual slaughter, the Food Together team gained insight into how everyday food practices relate to the conception of the other. This was not only relevant for recent migrants, but also for groups who have been living in the country for years, but whose eating practices more closely resemble that of migrants. The comparative analysis brought the researchers one step closer on their quest to understanding the role of food and spaces in the context of migration. In every episode, we'll bring you examples of how this multi-country European project has explored foodways and interacted with civil society. A big thanks to everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to share it with your family, friends, and colleagues. And please be sure to give us a rating, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others to find the show. See you next time.